Well, let me say again, it is very good to, to be back and thank you so much, Paul, for uh, inviting us. Uh, and I've been asked to dip into this great Psalm 119 you've been following. I've been asked to uh, look in, so to speak, between verses uh, 89 and 136. Uh, don't worry, we won't be going word uh, by word through it all, but if you had a Bible open, uh, really, if it's a church Bible, page 620 would be a good page to start on. That's got most of it there. That would be a huge help to me uh, and to you. It, it must have been 35 years ago now, uh, at least, but it still is etched vividly in my memory. Uh, we'd bumped into each other outside a coffee shop, uh, which uh, was very convenient because we were both eager for an excuse to miss the lecture that Monday morning. Uh, so uh, we went inside. He was a, a teammate who had disappeared uh, after Saturday's match, and this Monday morning provided the first sighting of him since. And as we sat down with our mugs in front of us, he soon told me why. I'm in love, he declared. And for the next 30 minutes, I was treated to a breathless description of this stunning physio whom he'd met back home over the weekend. It was the first time I'd heard such eloquent besottedness. Well, they married. Uh, the relationship survived the in-love stage and graduated to a love that's, well, held them past the 30th wedding anniversary. I don't know what anniversary the psalmist had reached with God's word when he penned Psalm 119, but it isn't really the language of someone who is only giddily and romantically in love, is it? Uh, there's a mature relationship here. There's plenty of substance, plenty of life experience together. And actually, the language of love can change, can't it? Uh, not always subtly. I love you, I told Claire the other morning as we lay in bed. And she looked at me and said, good, that makes life less complicated. <laughs> Which, you know, after 25 years of marriage is factually accurate, but I've lost all sense of guilt when I'm told I'm not romantic now. Uh, the psalmist is not short on declaring his love. Oh, how I love your law, he says. I love your law. He says it four times. I love your law. I love your statutes. I love your commands. Just in this section. And as I, I read it, I thought, I do know that in love excitement with God's word. When the words begin, <laughs> began to make sense when they came into focus and came alive, when, when I read the Bible and for the first time began to say, not just, I see, but even, that's right. It's still there. I still get reminded of it. But to be honest, other thoughts creep in as well. And I'm not neglect quite hard to be a clergyman and neglect the Bible, but it, it can become dutiful. Now, not denial of it, but it can seem predictable. I'd never dream of calling it boring, but it can feel heavy some days. And eyes and heart and mind can wander. And the psalmist is still talking the language of delight of the sweet-toothed person's paradise 
Did you notice that in verse 103? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He speaks of God's statutes, not just the exciting bits of the Bible, God's statutes, as the joy of my heart and as wonderful. He's still speaking the language of treasure, priceless treasure even uh, in verse 127. I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. And as I read and thought on these verses, I started asking him, what is the treasure? Where am I missing out? And here's some of what he told me. I watched one of those adverts on the telly. Uh, You've seen them for Duracell batteries? You know, they get these toys. It was, I think it was a pink fluffy bunny. Uh, you know, and they all go along. And the one with the Duracell battery in as opposed to the other uh, battery, that's the one that keeps going and going and going and going and going. You know, you're a fool to buy any other kind of battery. It's got to be Duracell. And uh, as I began to read the psalmist, I realized he's telling me, listen, these words have got more endurance than Duracell. Well, it's there in the very first stanza we're looking at if you go back uh, the page to to verse 89. It's even more strikingly obvious in the original where the same word, the forever word, is used twice in that stanza. It begins verse 89. It really reads like this. Forever, your word, O Lord, stands firm in the heavens. And I began to see... This is treasure because it's what a friend of mine calls forever stuff. I don't know about you, but my life is full of the transient and the trivial. You know, if I can avoid discovering what is going on in Big Brother or who's one X factor, I'll still get snared on some news item that will have no relevance whatsoever next week. And music I hear, books and magazines I read that seem simply to pass through my system. They've got no more substance than that. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I can love them. You know, I'll curl up with a mindless thriller, I'll love every page of it, and a few days later struggle to remember the plot at all. If I have to go to the dentist and I'm in the waiting room, I'd probably prefer to read OK magazine than uh, Autocar. It can all be very relaxing, but too much of that is just an anorexic's diet, isn't it? It becomes a breath of fresh air. A treasure to handle forever stuff. And that's what this is. Forever, your word stands firm. You see how he goes on in verse 90? He says, you establish the earth and it endures. The God whose word set up this planet who positioned it in precisely the right place for life. And science is constantly opening our eyes as to just how precise that is. Have you noticed? If we were any closer to the sun, we'd fry. Any further away, we'd freeze. The God who positioned it for life, and in spite of all that we've thrown at it, it endures. It's still there. So he says, the God who pulled that off has pulled this off too, verse 91. Your laws endure to this day. They last too. They're a treasure not because of novelty value, but because of permanent relevance. 
They position me where I can enjoy, enjoy life. They put me in precisely the right place with the living God, not just to taste it briefly, but to endure. Forever, your word stands firm. As Isaiah puts it, all flesh are like grass and all of their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And I began to think, you know, how thin, how thin is a life without forever stuff? A life without it. We got a, a big memorial service coming up and uh, the people came to see me and told me what they wanted, what they'd already organised. Uh, seven tributes to the person. Seven! I tried to keep the shock out of my voice and they explained uh, to me how each of them knew this person differently and had a different uh, angle on his life. Uh, and when they'd finished, I understood all of that, but the thought that was going in my mind was this. Um, who will speak eternity into the scene? Because if, if you ever want some forever stuff, it's at a memorial service, isn't it? Richard Dawkins, in his extraordinary bestseller, The God Delusion, uh, runs a, a, a chapter where he faces up uh, to uh, the question, can there be morality without a God? I don't find it a terribly convincing chapter. It's not a terribly convincing book, but, but uh, he attempts that one. The question he didn't, doesn't even attempt is, can there be hope without a God? Long after Richard Dawkins and the God delusion are forgotten, this forever word will remain. And it comes again as you turn the page and reach verse 93. In the original Hebrew, verse 93 reads like this, Forever I will not forget your precepts, for by them you preserve my life. I mean, here is his treasure, the never-to-be-forgotten word of God. Like uh, Linus's blanket, if you're a Peanuts fan. The psalmist is always carrying it around with him. The best evidence of the love of the Word of God is never to forget it. And forget here is less to do with memory, more to do with acting on it. Because what else do I want shaping my life? Forever stuff. Of course I'll keep remembering the forever stuff. Here is a treasure, more endurance than Duracell. The great uh, Reformation martyr, Nicholas Ridley, uh, went, I discovered, to the same college as I did in, in Cambridge and uh, he wrote this of his time there. He said, Farewell, Pembroke, in thy orchard, which isn't there anymore, but I know where he means, I learnt without book almost all Paul's epistles, of which study, although in time a great part did depart from me, yet the sweet smell thereof I shall carry with me into heaven, for the profit thereof I think I've felt in all my lifetime ever after. As this undergraduate walking up and down the gardens in this college, learning the New Testament by heart. And he says, it's forever stuff. It's been with me ever since. It'll take me into heaven. 
More endurance than, than Duracell. Secondly, though, I discovered as I read the psalmist, he's wanting to tell me that this word of God has more wisdom than Wikipedia. Yes, I've discovered computers uh, and uh, that mine of not always accurate information uh, that's Wikipedia. See, when you look at verse 105, it's probably the best known verse in the psalm, isn't it? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Notice, it is more than just a light for my path, you know, lighting up the way ahead. It is a lamp to my feet. It's showing up the next step ahead. He's expecting me to walk that path. And for the psalmist, God's word doesn't just offer sight in an increasingly dark and confusing world, but the kind of sight that brings real insight I mean, look across to verse 130. Watch him spell it out there. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Not just light, but understanding. And it's a very significant and important distinction, this distinction between sight and insight. You see, the world is not short of those who will offer to to switch on lights for our ignorance, is it? I mean, if you're in the dark about any subject, just Google it. I can do that as well now. Uh, Information is cheap today. But information is not insight. Information is not understanding. And the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding even to the simple. You don't need to be a rocket scientist. Actually, you won't be taught rocket science if you look at these words. You will be taught how to relate to God, life, the universe, yourself, others, the kind of things that even rocket scientists often can't do. So you watch the psalmist uh, think it through and spell it out for us as you, you go back to verse 98. He says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. The powerful forces in his life. And verse 99, I've more insight than all my teachers. Yeah, the eggheads around me. I have more understanding, verse 100, than the elders, the grey beards around me. All the information that power and grey cells and experience brings is not a match for the insight that God's word gives as to what is godly. Now please, don't get it wrong, this is not know-it-all wisdom. We do suffer from... uh, 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 at times, don't we, false certainties and false arrogance. Now, if you read these words, you'll discover the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But we actually live in a world that also suffers from false uncertainties. Pretends there are too many things you can't know when you can. The secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and our children. And here's where we can know them. 
Here's how the student of the scriptures lands up wiser than a professor like Richard Dawkins. Here's the treasure that can make a teenager wiser than their parents and still keep them humble while it does it. That's quite an achievement. It explains how Jesus amazed the teachers in the temple at the age of 12. Do you remember that incident? And then as an adult, silenced his enemies so they daren't ask him another question. The Apostle Paul saw the value of this word of God and he urged Timothy in that other reading we had not to let go of the one thing that would make you wise for salvation. Equip you for every good work. We can't escape the confusing moral maze of the world today, but if you could get your hands on that kind of wisdom, you'd treasure it, wouldn't you? The psalmist did. The coronation service said, they gave the Queen a Bible and said, this book is the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Well, the psalmist would be nodding his head all the way through that. Look, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law, he says. I meditate on it all day long. I I chew it over. You know, it is why the Christian is like a cow. Always chewing things over. What we love, we, we love to think over. Matthew Henry said, a good man, wherever he goes, carries his Bible along with him, if not in his hands, yet in his head and heart. Well, have you got into the habit of taking a scripture, taking a verse into the day with you? You you bump into your Christian friend, do you ask them? What's your scripture for today? A good way to encourage us to chew it over, to meditate. He says, verse 104, uh, look at this one. This is staggering. I gain understanding from your precepts. Uh, That's the source of my wisdom, says the psalmist. Not the how-to manual, not common sense. Oh, we love when we get practical to trust common sense, don't we? That's not where the psalmist gets his wisdom. Not what everyone thinks. I gain understanding from your precepts. And look where understanding leads. We so rarely follow the psalmist's logic, don't we? I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore, I hate every wrong path. And we wince at words like hate. They don't feel very Christian. We we don't like to think they're us. But this hatred is healthy. No hatred like this just shows no understanding. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. See, the psalmist has rumbled already our our world with its uh, false picture of uh, tolerance, uh, a word we speak of very glibly, but we never actually live it. Uh, We only show selective tolerance, don't we? It's as if we instinctively betray what we speak. 
we know that intolerance can be a virtue too. There are places we'd all be agreed on it, you know, um, paedophilia, terrorism, yes, we're intolerant of those things. Our difficulty is just knowing where tolerance should stop and intolerance start, isn't it? Well, I gain understanding from your precepts, says the psalmist. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. I hate wrong paths. I hate every wrong path. Uh, Here, uh, in these words, are where I'm warned when what we like to call lifestyle choices are just plain wrong. Here's where I discover where what we like to call personal beliefs are things the living God will not tolerate. Now, when I realise what treasure it is, I learn both to love and rightly hate. More endurance than Duracell, more wisdom than Wikipedia, uh, but the strongest lesson the psalmist taught me was this last one. Uh, Here's something more precious than gold. It's what he says in verse 127. I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. And as I was thinking of that, you see, It just came home to me. For me, too often, God's Word becomes just a book. Oh, a book I pack when I go away. A book I carry on me. Uh, I've got my uh, little Gideon New Testament. I know Paul always used to like to sort of challenge people when he bumped into them. Have you got a Bible with you? So I brought one, Paul, just to be sure. I confess the print is so small now, I I can't quite read it. Uh, John, if you could organise a a large print pocket Bible, that would be useful, or I could get glasses. Um, The psalmist's eyes are failing if you look at verse 123. I don't know whether the print was too small for him, but that was it. But it's more than just a book to the psalmist. It's real treasure. And it shows, because he isn't full of just theory words, but practice. Uh, I was at a, a clergy conference earlier this year. They took all the, the clergy from the London Diocese away. We landed up in a, a Roman Catholic monastery just outside Lille in France for some reason, which is a completely different story. But anyway, on our last night there, uh, as we were all uh, asleep, the fire alarm went off. Well, I, my reaction was what I always imagine is the typical Brit's reaction. I just turned over in bed and ignored it. Uh, but uh, there was so much shouting going on and people coming down the corridor and banging on all the doors, I realised that someone really thought we ought to do something. So I began to get up and it was interesting. When we gathered outside on the, the, the grass outside and you saw all these clergy in various states of uh, 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 attire, to see what people had brought with them. Some folk had got fully dressed and and had sort of packed their suitcase and were carrying it. Uh, The bishop was in his dressing gown with his laptop clutched under his arm. (laughs) I'd pulled some clothes over my pyjamas and slipped my wallet and passport into my pocket. The psalmist would have brought the scriptures with him. I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. If there's only one thing he could rescue, it would have been them, wouldn't it? And you see, having God's commands, that's one thing, but living for them, that's another. And the psalmist does this. Uh, Look up to the top of that page, to verse 112. 
My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. See, there's going to be no changing in the face of death, no wishing he'd gone another way, no regrets, and there's no rose-tinted specks for the psalmist either. He knows even in this brief section of the psalm about the wicked waiting to destroy me, about evil paths, about suffering much, about the wicked setting a snare for me. But he says there's one thing he won't let go of. He knows just how rough life can be. He says it's more than just a book. This is what I'll cling to, to the very end. For the psalmist, this is more than one of the influences in my life. It's his treasure. And God's word is not something he blows hot and cold over. And actually he can't stand those who do. Look at verse 113. I hate double-minded men. But I love your law. And he's not going to let those types distract him either. By 115, I've confessed I've not had time to absolutely double check this, but I'm told this is the only verse in the whole psalm that's not addressed to God. It's not a plea for ghetto Christianity not a plea for isolationism. It is a refusal to let the cynics and the sceptics deflect him. Uh, the chattering classes mock him or, or whisper seductively in his ear to tone down his discipleship. So he says, away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. I'm not going to let you put me off living this word. God's words more than just a book he reads. It's what shapes the company he keeps and the lifestyle he lives. Your statutes, he says, as we come to the last stanza we're looking at this morning in verse 129, your statutes are wonderful. He's not just going to sing their praise. He says, therefore I obey them. God's words more than a book he reads. It affects his appetite. Look at the next, uh, uh, well, verse 131. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? Can't you see it? Uh, the hungry baby, greedily guzzling milk from a bottle, desperate for food. <laughs> You've seen them do it. You know, the athlete at the end of the race. You and I, after ten minutes in the gym, you know, hands on knees. <sighs> anything to get oxygen in the lungs. Well, he's like that for God's word. God's word's more than just a book he reads. It's the barometer for his emotions. Uh, look at verse 136. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Streams of tears. I don't know whether you do tears or not. But if you do, what last caused them for you? A soppy film? Beg your pardon, a moving film? You know, the right or wrong sort of music? Some 
seen on the, the news of desperate suffering? Streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed. Wonderful, life-giving, eternity-shaping truths trampled on as I look around me. When the tears flow for that, ah, then I understand what the psalmist means when he speaks about more precious than gold. Your word is my treasure. And as I read him and looked at him this week, uh, I began comparing my life to his and I realised my life's so much thinner. Too cluttered by the, the trivial, too short on forever stuff. My life's so much thinner, I mean, easy to find status and standing and self-importance, but too little real wisdom. And I realised my love is so much poorer. Your word is my treasure. Now, the psalmist speaks in terms of I and me and my, but he is writing for God's people. And we not only need to think about this personally, but actually think about it as a, a congregation, as a church family. I mean, where does God's word fit for us? Forgotten? It, it's hard to forget God's word and be a church, isn't it? But it's easy for it to be read and not obeyed. I mean, we'll probably still tick the duty box, but you can do that and lose the delight, can't you? You can even keep the habit and lose your appetite. Pray God that's not true for us as a church. Let's pray. Let me use the words of the psalmist as we pray together. Gracious God, turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Do that, Lord, for each one of us. Do that for us as a church. In Jesus' name. Amen.